Welcome to the Political R&D Podcast. After you finish listening, we would really appreciate it if you gave us a rating on iTunes and Google Play to help other listeners find our show. We are taking Political R&D to the next level. Our programming will now include more frequent podcasts, including interviews that challenge and inform. We're also bringing new writers to cover the politics in everything. Please consider becoming a patron. Your support will help us improve, increase, and pay for the content you enjoy. You can find us on Patreon at PoliticalRND or link through our website at politicalrnd.ca. Now, let's get political. Welcome back to Political R&D. I'm Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. And I'm Mark Taylor. And today's episode is called Money for Nothing, because we are talking about the Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy for political parties. I want my MTV. <laughs> no, seriously, it's um, it, it, the one, it's a great Dire Straits tune, uh, but to the um, there's a lot of money that goes into political parties, and I don't think people. Uh, there, there was a general uproar this week that just about every political party applied for the wage subsidy, but I don't think a lot of Canadians understand how political parties get their money, what they do with their money. I'm not going to get into a whole lot of the what they do, but uh, where they get their money and how we've got a system that's sort of broken, sort of working, both provincially here in Alberta and in, in on the federal scene. So. So I thought, no matter how you look at it, uh, the taxpayer pays. Yeah. um, And that's not necessarily a bad thing. If you want a strong act of democracy, you got to invest in those things. And I know a lot of people are like, well, you know, we hate giving money to political parties. It's like, yeah, but if you don't want dictatorship, then you have to pay to have democracy. Oh, Mark, we're going to disagree today. (laughs) Oh, goody. I, all right. So one of the, the article that you sent me yesterday, that was CBC, uh, Eric Grenier quoted my favorite federal politician, Yves Blanchet. Oh, goody. I love him so much. Okay. I will quote him out of that article because it was fantastic. Programs that were created to avoid the bankruptcy of businesses and individuals serve today to finance the, rich, the two richest parties in Canada, unquote. Well, it's not just the two. All, all the parties, if you had staff, you could apply for it. Oh, all the parties can get it. But um, do you know how much the CPC took in in fundraising in 2018? I don't have that number in front of me, but you should probably even be able to pull up 2019's numbers too. So, Well, 2019's numbers won't be out until around July. So, oh, okay. We could look up the provincial ones for... Oh, yeah, I've got those. Uh, so <laughs> CPC raised uh, $24.2 million in 2018. Right. And at the end of 2018, at least the, fi- uh, the filing, the end of the filing period... They had 9.9 million in cash. The Liberals 
raised 15.9 million in 2018. They had 2.3 million in cash by the end of the filing period. So it's not like they were super hurting by the end of each of those years. Like we're, right. we're not, we're not right. talking. And, and what major expense did they have in 2019 that they were saving money for? Um, okay, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. But minor detail, like they, they had a. To elect a guy no one had ever heard of as the leader of their party. Well, the, the fact that the, the conservatives couldn't take that 10 million from 2018 and whatever they raised in 2019 and still couldn't get Andrew Milktoe Shear elected, um, that's, that's not, you know, did they do uh, poor, poor things with government money? They just do poor things with money, period. That's, that's a separate argument whatsoever. But that they're still a nonprofit organization who hires individuals who have jobs and they are hurting in this time of pandemic, just like every other nonprofit out there. It's true. I, I don't disagree with that. Um, another number that came out of Eric's article was that this will cost, or sorry, that, that the political parties, and this is just federal, but the political parties who did apply for the Canadian emergency wage subsidy will run the government of Canada approximately $460,000 a month. Now, again, that's, that's throughout all of the political parties. There are about 200 staff members. Right. So, um, but as that article also stated, political parties get a lot of taxpayer funding as it is. So even with the with the yes and tax, no no with, with actually right off that well that but that's the thing is that the the parties aren't getting the money. Ooh, say what? You make a four hundred dollar donation to the Conservative Party of Canada, they get your four hundred dollars. You, in return, as the taxpayer, get three hundred dollars back. The parties get nothing out of that from the government. So. I am challenging your assertion as they get extra things because that is, that is one way they raise funds is that there is a generous tax rebate for donors. Okay, so the rebate goes to me as a donor for bothering to give my $400 to the political party. Right. So that still benefits the political parties. I mean, if it didn't, it wouldn't be in every freaking fundraising email saying, by the way, right. donate this much, you get this much back. Right. But political parties also have very few other ways to fundraise. So you, you take a look at a charitable organization. A charitable organization gets a similar, not as good as we discussed on the lockdown happy hour this weekend, uh, gets a similar tax benefit for their donors, but uh, charitable organizations can one take from corporations, which now political parties cannot do, and two, they're allowed to use other fundraising means, be it uh, bingos, uh, you know, working bingos as many volunteers do, casinos, um, you know, a number of different uh, grants and trusts and stuff like that are are eligible for charitable organizations that political parties aren't. Yes, but political parties still spend a lot of money on fundraising. Well, so do charitable organizations. 
All right. Is this the uncomfortable <laughs> pause that you're going to have to edit out later? Or the uncomfortable pause that just made me speechless. Um, <clears throat> okay, so, so you're going to, so what I'm looking at is the money that political parties bring in. Right. And in general, the money that they do hold off for other things, right? So they do typically, unless you're the UCP, they typically end the year with a surplus. Some do. Yep. Most do. Most do. Um, and they're allowed to carry balances. Yeah. So... I mean, the whole save it for a rainy day thing. And this is where I have to somewhat agree with O'Toole and McKay saying we should not be applying for this subsidy as a political party. Well, but that's their opinion. Hmm. I mean, I mean, I can fund a ton of people, including, you know, the current and past executive directors of the Conservative Party who would disagree. I mean, it comes down to is you, if you're running a nonprofit organization, which not a political party runs quite similar to a nonprofit. You're putting your budget together based on a bunch of fundraising goals. You hope you hit mm -hmm. and you staff accordingly. And now they're in a situation where they've got staff on the books doing things for that political party, no different than a nonprofit would be doing for their organization. And they can't pay their staff anymore because they can't hit fundraising targets because everybody is getting unemployed and laid off and hoarding funds and they don't have that $400 check to cut to a political party, even if they get $300 back next April. Next April. And that's always the kicker too, is that you do get this much back a year later. Yeah. Easier for them to fundraise that in December. And that's why you see your greatest pushes from political parties and charitable organizations in December, because it's the, here's your opportunity to get your quickest turnaround. Hand us $400 on December 31st. And if you file your taxes, uh, first part of March, you, you're only out that for two, two months. Yeah. Which is, I guess, better. Um, so the other thing too, so this runs uh, the, the tax donations that are recouped or sorry, the, the taxable receipts. What are they? What are they? tax that you that you apply for at the end of the year oh when you when you, well, you get you get it you get a tax receipt for that donation so and so the other thing that i noticed was that the entire uh federal let's not call it a subsidy let's call it a uh tax receipt so tax receipts for the entire federal parties, all of them in Canada, equal 29 million, which is $1 million less than the Alberta War Room costs. Just throwing that out there. Well, I would say our Canadian democracy is well served by $29 million. I wouldn't say the $30 million that the War Room is spending has done a damn thing except piss people off. So um, it's, I, I look at, you know, I, I don't have those numbers off the top of my head, but it, you know what the uh, Canadian opera, the Canadian budget's what, $44 billion a year? No, 44 trillion or something goofy. I can Google that in the process. But you're taking, you're taking $29 million a year 
and saying, okay, this goes into, even if you wanted to add the actual, let's pay the MLAs and the staff and, and the political staff and the, the, the operational staff of our government, that's the price you pay to operate a government. And, and there, when, when you nickel and dime that. Hmm? But what about when they're not in government? Well, the, we're, we aren't a one party state. If you want Putin for 16 uh, years, I wasn't told to far with it. <laughs> but but you 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 got to have a healthy you got to have healthy political parties in order to have a healthy democracy. And if anything, we can look at Alberta and go this is why we're in a one party state here and have been for so long is that we haven't invested in our democracy to the same level as the country has. Okay. Well, riddle me another thing because <laughs> I still want to disagree with you where I was like no no I know that you're right but I want to believe that you know that it's wrong to do this um, and I guess I guess one of the things that bothers me is looking at how much money and it is it's for a number of these parties, it is in the millions, the number of dollars that are coming into the party. I understand that nonprofits have expenses. I, I fully get that. But it seems to me like their expenses are really high. Well, I mean, part of it is, is they're paid professionals. Like you've got people who, who work as professional fundraisers. Their job is to raise money. And whether you're working for a political party or a nonprofit, if you're good at your job, you're not generating your salary, you're generating your salary and I don't know, a factor of 10. Mm -hmm. um, because you have, to, you have to have, whether it's uh, an innate skill at this or the able to write the fundraising letters or just the vast network. So to have somebody come in and say, I wanna pay you $40,000 a year to fundraise. I don't think you're worth $100,000. Are you, are you going to get a tenfold off of that $40,000 fundraiser? Probably not. You might not even get $40,000 off of them. But if you go and say, I'm going to spend $150,000 on a professional fundraiser who's in their association, like there is a professional fundraisers association, you get that person, you pay them what they're worth. You don't pay them a commission. You just simply say, I know you're good at your job. You pay the uh, dollar amount. And they generate a million dollars a year for your organization. So be it. At the end of the day, and this is where the reporting gets a little skewed because we sit there and say, okay, the conservatives raised $24 million last year in, um, in donations. Okay, great. But what did it cost them to raise $24 million? Because if you're using... 8.5 million. 8.5 million. So they're really only making you know, 60 cents on the dollar, 65 cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there, there's organizations out there that are the ones who do all the, you know, send all the letters out and they make the phone calls and, the, and you, you got to pay for those things. And I mean, provincially, it's the same story. I mean, you can go and take a look at the dollars that, you know, the UCP and the NDP are pulling in. But the question is, is how much did it cost them to bring it in? Because I know back in my Wild Rose days, it was closer to 50 cents on the dollar. 
that we were making. Well, and the liberals are making closer to closer to almost $5 or no, wait, how is 8.5? Aren't they only making $3 per dollar that they spend? If you, if you raise $24 million and it costs $8 million to do it, a third of it is eight times three is 24. Right. Okay. So, uh, the Liberals are sitting at 3.4 million in fundraising to bring out 15.9 million. So they're 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 a fifth. So they're making about 80 cents yeah. on the dollar. But I mean, there's other things. It's like you know that's reported directly. There's indirect costs of like um, you know what office expenses are being used, what staff members are being excused. There's you know each of these are going to have a, a, a fundraising professional that may not actually fall under fundraising expenses, but might fall under staff expenses. So that number just gets smaller and smaller the more you add people to it. It's but you still spend, you have to spend money to make money. Any business will tell you the same thing. The same reason we put all this money into marketing. It's like McDonald's you might be selling a billion dollar uh, burgers every year. They're not getting 99 cents for every one of them. So that's true. Um, so with, because it is so just even between us, it is between us and everybody listening to the podcast us <laughs> with the i'm i'm on the side of i want i want to hate this uh because it's political i realize as you said they still have employees they still have expenses that is exactly what uh the the uh, emergency wage subsidy was for. Right. Right. And, but it does, it just, it, but, but they're two, they're two separate things. It's, it's, it's the hatred of politics versus the hatred of giving people money so they can survive. And, and we were disliking the first one or the second one because of the, the people thing. in the first one are getting it. And it's because our current politicians have made this political sphere so toxic that people don't like politicians. So they don't like giving money to uh, political parties. They don't like giving money to uh, employees. Even the, uh, the whole rigmarole around Kenny's office with 19 people making $2.9 million right up in the um, Red Deer Express. These are still people. You could argue they're getting paid too much. I argue that the speechwriter for Jason Kenney doesn't need to make the same money that's the speechwriter for Barack Obama. That's one argument. But I'm not saying is that guy should be out of work because he works for a political party, even though he works for the government. But and I think, like, I think where, I think where this kind of falls apart, and this is not, this is not necessarily a, this is not a political party issue so much as the government never put, uh, they didn't put any restrictions on who this could go to. So, you know, if, if, the, if the political parties had a great fundraising year last year, and they can say, well, look, this is how much, you know, our income has gone down from the year before. Um, because that was basically the only requirement, well, partial 
requirement was that you can prove that you had a reduction of god it didn't it start at something like uh 50% and then it went to something stupid like 15% i never dug into it so i can't tell you what the rules around it sir 15% but it it kind of went from you know you you need to be able to show that that yeah your earnings are down a whole lot and we will subsidize your wage we understand that you need this because your earnings have gone down this much but oh now i feel like we should have looked into that more because but but even even i can i can't speak to the federal cuz it's been a while since i've done federal political reporting uh financial reporting but provincially we had to report every quarter so i could easily show you year over year we're already down i could show you quarter after quarter that we were already down so it would make it would it would take nothing to pass that threshold whether it's 15 50 or 75% um, decrease in intake, mm-hmm. I could show you that our revenue streams were done, like zero, and, and away you go, and a fly. So it doesn't, I mean, th- that, those numbers are evident with every quarter that the, the political parties are supposed to report. That's true. At least provincially. So it, that threshold is covered on, on, on the side. And like I'd mentioned earlier, is that there aren't, multiple revenue streams that a political party can access. If you can't get fundraising, you got nothing. That's true. And now, do you remember, was this, um, was it always accessible for political parties or was there a change? Because the Alberta use or the UCP had come out in April saying if they can't access other revenue, they were in real trouble. And that was, that was in April when they came out with that. Um, yeah, it was there near the end of their Q1 fundraising. They knew they had a deficit. I think those are two separate things. I don't think they, uh, I mean, the UCP ran a deficit. That was heavily reported. I mean, we're, they that ran was the out of, of 2019. Well, yeah, they're, they're, so they ran, they ran a deficit for 2019 of what, $2 million, and they're currently $1.1 in debt or something like that. And the, that's, I don't think it was a situation in April where they were or weren't deciding whether they were going to apply for this. Um, I don't think that letter had anything to do with that. I think they were just simply trying to do what they could to keep the lights on. They knew they were in financial problems. And, you know, I, I asked the question best then. It's like, who the hell lent them $2 million this year? That's the bigger question. It wasn't the government that lent them $2 million. Somebody's got a loan out there, and there's a lot of rules around making loans to provincial parties. Federal parties, like I said, it's been a while since I played there, but I know I, have, I had to know the, the, uh, the Elections fi- uh, Finance and Contribution Disclosure Act, uh, like the back of my hand, for a number of months. And that was one of the things that the Elections Alberta stressed to us, is that getting loans as a political party is exceptionally difficult because of the way the act is written. Mm -hmm. And so who's loaned the UCP $2 million? That's my question. All that. I'm not opposed to them raising money. That's they're good at it. But, and if you're going to utilize small donors getting 75% of their donations back, which is different, the threshold is different in Alberta than it is provincial or federally it's 200 here versus 400. If they can get a ton of $200 donations 
and people get 150 bucks back, power to them. They're good at what they're doing. They build a list, they send it out, they make speech. Like that's what you pay a fundraiser and a comms team to do. I have no pro, uh, opposition for them fundraising. I don't have any opposition for the people uh, uh, holding those roles. My question always was, you know, who's got the loan? Okay, which also kind of takes us slightly off of. No, not us. <laughs> okay, so again, it's always optics, right? That's that's the big thing. It it doesn't even matter that that they're run like a nonprofit, uh, that that their revenue stream has dried up during COVID. It's always about the optics. Sure. It's true. And well, the I'm not arguing it. <laughs> isn't going for uh, the emergency wage benefit. I think I, I think that is going to I think that's going to reflect poorly on the Conservative Party. I don't think it will at all. Why not? Because conservatives are generally seen as the, the fiscal money managers and so it doesn't matter when they're no nobody nobody nobody's gonna care like this 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 is gonna become like a nothing burger six months from now and as like your as your uh our colleagues over at the strategists had mentioned this week you know if you're the alberta ndp apply you might as well you get a free pass on this you Unless you don't you don't haven't gone down well it's not entirely a free pass you have to qualify well, so, th but they haven't necessarily uh, hit a point where maybe they haven't gone down enough and maybe they will in the next quarter. Who knows? But the whole thing is, is that this is going to be a nothing burger six months from now. The only way this causes any strife anywhere is with, as we talked about, those hardened Partisan. ideological <laughs> X-Wild Rosers who need a reason to say, why are we paying eight staffers? Why are we overpaying in the premier's office? Why is everybody lining up the trough? And I don't even know about this trough. Right. Those wild rosers will take off. Okay. So then is it just, is it just a partisan argument? Because I mean, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it was Robbie who said the other day, that the only benefit of this coming out that the UCP had applied for the emergency wage benefit was the fact that it quieted down. So one of the things, and I think it was that, uh, I think it was Robbie who pointed it out this week was that the only benefit of the UCP applying for the emergency wage subsidy was that a lot of the, how do we call them? louder partisans had been very quiet it's if we muted them for 12 hours that's the best we could do like i mean this it's it, for me it's still such a non-issue like i mean they're a non-profit they should get the money whether it's the ucp I, I don't have to be a fan of jason kenny's to say they should still get the money it's 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 part of it's, it's part of how our democracy works and our nonprofit or our political parties are nonprofits and they, um, they deserve the, the, the wage subsidy as much as anybody else. Cause I'm not going to say those staff members should be out of work just because 
So I'm also curious then, the um, ending the year with cash in the bank, that's not an issue for nonprofits because isn't that something that they actually have to spend all the money that they get? No, it's, they don't, li they don't list revenue versus um, expenditures. It's always listed as revenue, uh, revenue above expenditures. So you, you can see a number because, because nonprofits are, have to be in a position where, you know, is there a capital expenditure that they might need to take two or three years to save for? Oh, okay. Okay. So tech. So, so nonprofit doesn't mean Actually, they don't make a profit. Nonprofit is, is that they're, they're not structured as a corporate entity where somebody makes money off the profits. Okay, so basically you just can't have shareholders that are profiting off of it. Correct. Okay. Like, like you know, the, uh, uh, the war room. <laughs> Not a nonprofit. It's a corporation. They can, they can, they can profit. Those shareholders, all three cabinet ministers, can uh, profit off of the extra monies. They're directors. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So does it matter that this is causing a bit of an uproar amongst the general public because that's something that like these inside conversations aren't things that people normally have they don't look at things like how much did they raise last year <laughs> and and do i you know it's it's a it's a knee-jerk reaction to this political party has applied for it you know that even came up uh, with the original story about the federal parties that applied for it was that the original title had said the NDP applied. Yeah. Well, and then they found out, Oh, all the parties did. Yeah. So this goes back to things that you and I talked about before is that everybody hates putting government money into things they don't use. But they, and they so, don't like, yeah. So if you don't like politicians and you don't like politics, you don't like seeing your tax dollars going to political parties. Much like if I'm employed and I don't, uh, don't like money going into government uh, career coaches, I don't like it at all until I'm unemployed and I need a government career coach. Like it's, we're, we're, we're horrible for that as a citizenship that we don't, we don't recognize that there's certain things we need to pay for. Or there's and, certain things that certain people need and that it's yeah. okay to cover it. Yeah. Like, like we, we, don't, we don't look at ourselves and go, well, we're fortunate that we're not using healthcare and that my kid doesn't need uh, an educational assistant. And, and like, we don't sit there and go, I'm fortunate. We get, we get upset when it's like, well, why does that person need it? I don't need it. It's like, <laughs> well, because well, their happens. circumstances are different. That's why. And, and, and it goes back to my point is that political parties are, are, are a necessity within our democratic system and we need to fund our democratic system effectively in order for it to operate effectively. So the whole thing about the per vote subsidy that uh, Stephen Harper took out in 2015. Right. Was that was that an effective way for parties to bring in money for parties to um uh you know encourage voting for them right it was it was that dollar right you yeah well 
I think it started off at like a buck seventy five and it was almost two dollars by the time Stephen took it out per vote. And that well then he scaled it down. But um and the, the short answer is yes. And and this is why is that um, first of all, it's stable funding. If you're a political party, you know, let's hypothetically pick the liberals, or actually, let's go the conservatives. You just pulled in six million votes in the last election. Right. You're getting a two dollar subsidy per vote. You've got twelve million dollars that's coming in four equal payments through the year. You can you can bank on every quarter basically a million dollars a a month for operations. Mm-hmm. whatever that looks like that makes your life as the executive director of that party much easier knowing that okay anything we raise as fundraising we will put towards a war chest special things whatever upgrade of what like whatever those things are but i can count on i've got a million dollars coming in every month that i can put towards hiring staff Right. Now, now people are going to go, geez, million dollars for staff. That's a lot. Yes. Except for they got to have computers and a place to work. And, and like it's, it's your general operating expenses, mm-hmm. but you can run a, a good sizable political party on a million dollars a month. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> but, but not only that, you could actually probably build a better national base than what the conservatives have because they could put more money into building, you could hire a full-time organizer or organizers to work the Atlantic provinces. You could hire, you know, proper um, translators and the like to develop comms material for Quebec, because that's always an area where they do poorly. Hmm. So if I'm the executive director, I'm looking at things like that going, okay, I can now start putting money into these things because I'm not reliant on Alberta to pay for everything else. Because that's where most of their dollars are coming from. It is. Alberta was the single most, uh, or sorry, donated the single most amount of money out of any of the provinces. Of course, it went to the CPC uh, at 4.1 million. Right. So, so those are the things what I'm looking at as a, as a, as an executive director is that there's some stable funding that's coming in and I can take fundraising. I don't have to go and hit my uh, donors up every week to try and just keep the lights on. I mean, yeah, I mean, $24 million is a lot of money. So obviously, I'm, those are some pretty good lights I'm keeping on. But <laughs> it's, it's, I'm not having to go to that well every day. My donors aren't tuning out, and I need my donors tuning in. So when I put a call out for donations, it's going to be, hey, we're going to do the following things, or we really need your help doing this. Not, you know, this is the issue of the day, and I'm trying to get an uproar, and you were in that part of the database, and so hopefully you'll send me a hundred bucks. You you can do more with less at that point, and still generate. And so, you know, that's that's, and it and it benefits not just the big party. Like I'm using the Conservatives as an example, but I mean, I saw it with the Greens. Was that this is part of the reason the Greens ran a full slate in 2004 was that that was the first year the, the um, vote subsidy was going to be there. And so Jim Harris, leader of that time, said, we're running a full slate of 308. And the party did because that was, um, yes, 308 back then. That's jumped up a lot. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> we knew that at that point, that $1.75 even if you only pulled in 
um, a thousand votes per riding, that's 308 ridings. That's 308,000 votes you get that if you're pulling in a dollar 75, you now got close to $600,000 in operating expenses. That $600,000 goes a long way when you're trying to build a national organization. Okay. And I don't disagree with that. And I actually like, I like the vote subsidy. I like that. I, I'm not sure how I feel about the emergency wage subsidy only because it's not quite clear who's actually receiving that. Well, this, this is one of those things where if all the parties were getting the vote subsidy, they probably couldn't apply for the wage subsidy. So you're saying we could have, well, actually, would we have saved any money? I mean, what did we have? Voter turnout last year was... 27 million people. So you're paying out $2 a vote. It's $54 million. So $54 million. But there was still the, the political contribution still. Existed. Sorry, it was, sorry, it was 18, 18, three that pulled out. So your total would have been 30, 36. 36 million. Yeah. So that 36 million, in addition to, and, and I'm, I'm looking at this from the taxpayer perspective. So that would have been 36 million that went directly to the parties. Yeah. But there would still be, a $29 million refund per year for political donations? Possibly. It might be a little less. I mean, if the, if the parties aren't pushing as hard for fundraising because they've got some stable income coming in, maybe it's not as high as that. But even just say for easy math, it is. So then it would cost in between a four-year election cycle, if all of those things were still in place, then you would be looking at close, close to 150 million. Well, you're 60 million, say it's 60 million a year. Why? Wait. Well, you said the, the 30 million for the rebates and um, 36 or whatever. So call it 60 million a year. So only, over, over four years, that's it's a quarter billion dollars. Yeah, but they only get 36 million one year. No, they get it every year. That $2 every year? Holy crap. Yep. Stable funding. Okay. That's all right. So <clears throat> I would expect, I didn't realize that was per year. So I would expect that political fundraising would actually be somewhat less based on the fact that there is that stable funding. Well, I mean, this is where you could start doing some fun things with, you know, you bring in the stable funding, but then you put a cap on how much can be spent per year. Okay. So is that so, a so then that really that would that would help reduce some of your fundraising targets because um you just simply say, okay, you're your political party, you can't spend more than twenty five million in a year, including election years. Okay. So so even though you pulled in your your stable funding pulled in twelve million a year, um conservatives you can't bank it all and just spend $50 million in election year. You, you can only spend this much. Yeah. And so you've got bigger push for fundraising in the call it the 18 months leading up to an election, which also then allows candidates to go and fundraise because this has been, this is one of those things that people don't get is that when you fundraise and, and I even get this from people who donate, 
there's a competition between the candidates and the party. For what? Well, the same, same $400. Oh, okay. So, so if I'm, if I'm Joe public and I'm wanting to donate, um, I donate my $400 to the party. Okay, great. I get my $300 tax receipt back off to the races. Um, just quote Scott Reed, mild my beer and popcorn. But, um, but the, what happens is you start all of a sudden getting close to an election and all of a sudden the candidate comes knocking and goes, Hey, I see that you're a donor. Can I have your $400 this year? And then what happens is the party goes, well, the people go, well, but I gave to the party. What do you mean? Like, no, you've already got my $400 this year. Mm, and, and then, you know, then all of a sudden the candidate goes and finds a donor who hasn't given to the party and they're not telling the party that that donor exists because it's like, well, if you hit them up, you're going to take my money and I'm trying to raise money to run my local campaign so I can win. Okay. And that also came up um, while I was looking through them. So riding associations are counted separately from the party. So the party, the CPC in 2018 raised 24.2 million. Uh, their riding associations raised 4 million. And so that went directly to the riding associations. Ouch. Well, the liberals were only 0.6 million ahead. Yeah, of but, but that's 338 of them. Yes. Yes. A million divided by 338. That's not a lot of money that's going into the local coffers because that's who's buying the signs and buying the uh, pamphlets and renting that local office space and all those things. That's all being done by the local candidate. So there's, there becomes an internal challenge for a political party is like, you know, does that $400 go better nationally or locally? Well, it's a case by case basis. If you're trying to build up the, the national brand so that you can get that per subsidy vote going up, well, obviously you want to have more of a national exposure, but you might have some local candidates who get elected that in getting elected MPs does help with building the national brand. So, so then, you know, there's this uh, pull and tug of the, where does the money go? But, but the donor rarely knows the difference and they shouldn't have to know the difference. No, they shouldn't. But this was actually one reason why I was kind of looking forward to this particular conversation with you, because as a former ED, you got to see things like money that's going into the party and, and money that goes directly to candidates. It is, it is different because at the candidate level, you are, you are supporting the candidate that you want to be your MLA. Yep. At the party level, you're essentially saying, in a way, I trust you to do what you need to do with this money, but that could end up with, um, and I'm not going to ask for any details, but that could end up in a situation where you've got, you know, a candidate that the party feels they should put more dollars towards and that might not be your candidate. Correct. All of that. I mean, and those are the decisions that, you know, you know, whether you've got paid consultants uh, advising on strategy or uh, you're working out with a local board or whatever that is, um, you, you run the risk. Like, we had 87 candidates 
And, you know, in each candidate's eyes, right up until election day, they, you know, I would say for a majority of them, they felt they were going to get elected. The numbers weren't necessarily reflecting it. Um, but, you know, and people had to make those hard decisions on, okay, if, if not 87 getting elected, you know, what number is even feasible and, and then who fits to those numbers. And then money ends up going into. Yeah. And that candidate or promoting that candidate. And, and you're also looking at like, this is the other one is that, you know, people always donate in the last week of the election. That's like the worst time to donate to a political party or candidate, because it takes us three to five days to get printing or signs or whatever else. And so it's like, it, you, you, you know, you, you throw a hundred bucks going, Hey, I really liked what you did for the last three and a half weeks. It's like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know what I'm going to do for that. But I mean, you never say no to it, but you're you're still in a situation where it's like the, those are the the challenges is that you the you know you walk into an election you walk into every quarter and you're you know you're trying to figure out where are those dollars how much are going to come in the door you can't you can't guess or the best you guess um, which fundraising letter is going to push and which one isn't and so this was something that I found uh, both. Let's see. Um, I found it disconcerting about looking at it from a candidate level because <clears throat> they always want to see a candidate who can raise, you know, you, you should have $50,000 to run in an election. Well, that's, you know, Berta, that's the max. Okay. You, can't spend, you can't spend more, as a candidate, you can't spend more than $50,000. Okay, so... But that was also brand new as well. Ah, okay. <laughs> actually, actually but, I didn't know. Yeah, but I mean, you know, if, you know, as the executive director, as people who are out recruiting candidates, as a bunch of, the, you, you want somebody who can bring in money because you, you pretty much count on the party isn't going to cut you a check for $50,000. Right. And you don't and, have to do that as a party to have to, you don't want to actually have to fund every single one of your candidates in order for them to run in the election. Correct. Now, some parties, and I remember this was with the Greens, there was a, with, because of the vote subsidy, there was actually what they call a revenue sharing agreement between the constituencies and the um, central party. Because there was, there was a recognition that it was the local people that were going out and knocking doors and driving boats and doing what they could to build the brand. And so they should be given such an opportunity to reap as well, rather than the party taking 100% of that, because the party was doing a lot of stuff, but it was also some of the volunteers. And so that's how you build those local dollars is that, you know, there one part of that was fundraising, one part of it, it was a share of the vote subsidy. And then you hope the candidate can start bringing in some of their own funds as well. Okay, so... And there's a neat little thing on the federal one is that when candidates pass 10%, they get 50% of their expenses back. Yes. Actually, I think it's just 2%. Oh, is it only 2% now? Okay. Even better. But, but that, allows, that allows those funds to be kind of keep in the churn so that, you know, if, if you're, you know, take a look at the last you know, provincial election here. I mean, like, obviously you have uh, one party took majority of the seats and another party that didn't take many of them.
But I mean, like, it's not like the Alberta Party of the Liberals or even the, the Independence Party um, were without support. Size, yeah, sizable support. I mean, like, you sit there and go, okay, well, the Alberta Independence Party, hypothetically, if we got uh, six to one candidates, some of them did break 2% support. I don't think a lot of them did. But okay, so you, you get to have, you spend $10,000 in your campaign, you get five grand back. Well, now you've got something to work from for the next year. And now, I'm not saying I agree with independence, but 1% of Albertans do. So don't they have the right to have their voice heard? Okay. And so, so is this a, um, is this the cost of promoting a democratic society? Is that government returns money for people who participate? Well, I, I, I think you're looking at it the other way is that I think people need to understand that you have to invest in your government in order to get the government you want. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Give me your, give me your anecdote. This is a perfect time for your anecdote. Uh, I want my MTV. <laughs> Not that one. Uh, the how much you spend on hockey. Oh, right. So, okay. Uh, yeah. So I use this as an example um, with somebody I knew who kid played high level hockey here in Calgary. And, you know, you pay for ice time, you pay for equipment, factored in probably, you know, gas, everything else, anywhere between five to 10 grand a year was being going into for kids hockey. And then it's like, you're driving the kid to the rink twice a week for practice. There's a game on the weekend. There's tournaments that, you know, you're, you're eating at the rink. You're picking up food on the way home because it's a late night. You're, you're invested. You're doing bingos. You're doing fundraisers. You're selling Coco's Pizza and whatever else you're doing to keep that kid in a position where they can go and play hockey. And it's, so it's costing you know, 10 grand plus, 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 and, and you're investing 10 to 20 hours a week into your kid for that 10 grand a year. Yet when people look at their politics, they, they, they just cut a line off of their check that could be, you know, in the neighborhood of 20, 30, 40, $50,000, depending on what you're making, um, that you're paying in payroll taxes, you're paying for a GST, you're paying for property tax, you're paying all these taxes in the tens of thousands every year. And, and your engagement is I go put a check box, check mark in a box every four years. And, and you wonder why our system doesn't work. <laughs> I, if I could get that average hockey mom to put a 10th of the time into our political system that they do into their kids hockey, the this, this system would run way better. Oh, it's one of my favorite, favorite anecdotes. <laughs> but this, this is where like, yeah, I could be seen as a partisan, but I got involved because I truly care about this democracy. I want to see this democracy work and the work as best it can. And I saw things on the federal level when the vote subsidy came in, I saw democracy really becoming strong. Like the smaller voice got an opportunity to be heard People were making a difference. When you went door knock, you didn't have to say, okay, who are you strategically voting for? Vote for us because we want to keep those guys out. 
Like it was this lesser of two evils garbage was horrible. <laughs> you could go and door knock as a green and somebody goes, there's no way in hell you're going to win. True, but we get your $2. Right. You can put your $2 towards something that matters to you. And, and people resonate because that's a positive message. That's not fear. That's your $2 makes a difference. Your check mark means I get $2 this year. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that resonated with voters that I didn't have to go and pick, close my nose and, and just blindly vote or just not show up because I'm so disgusted. They can go, hey, you know what? Buddy came to my door. That's worth two bucks. I'll go, I'll go give him my $2. I had to give it anyway. So why not give it to the guy that actually made an effort? And, and so that's where I saw great things happening. And it's unfortunate that vote subsidy went away. I would like to see Albertans put more effort into seeing a democracy grow here, because this has been the problem for pushing now 50 years, is that we keep going one party state, one party state, one party state. Regressives all cheered when we got a progressive and they were hoping that they would become the next one party state. That didn't happen. And now we're back into potentially another one party state, which whatever. But it doesn't mean our democracy is maturing. We need to have lively debate where people aren't trying to game the system and push things through ministerial orders where no riding is technically safe. And that, you know, the government flips on a regular basis so that we can have a vibrant democracy because the ideas are constantly being pushed, not just the same thing over and over again. And everybody only gets involved with one party because that leader becomes premier and we don't really care about the rest. Even if, uh, yeah, see, I, mm, I don't know. I, I didn't realize it lasted for four years. I thought it was only one year. But, but I mean, it still comes down to, it's, it's a two pronged thing. You give them the nearly $10 over four years, whatever. It still comes down to what are they doing with it? Like, you know, do I agree with the communist party? No. Do I agree with the Marxist Leninist? No. Do I understand why there's two separate ones on the federal level? No. But, you know, one party got 4,100 votes, the other one got 3,900. So, like, if they got their shit together and could put down the, the sabers of the various types of communism, uh, they could have a combined, you know, $16,000 a year. Use that to build a legitimate case on why you should be elected. I'm fine with that because, I mean, there's a portion of the population who thinks that's appropriate. Obviously, 8,000 people voted for it anyway. You know, do we give them another, you know, give them $16,000 a year to make a better case? Sure. Will they do it? Probably not. But that's, that's the way of democracy works. You don't have to agree with it all, but you have to make sure that the, the arena is solid. Okay. Like, like here, here'd be the analogy, especially seeing that we're now talking that Edmonton's going to be a hub for the NHL. <laughs> How would everybody feel if we had a NHL that's like, okay, we're going to have an NHL um, do really well, but um, only, only the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Carolina uh, Hurricanes are going to get money to put a payroll together. And it's like, well, but I like the Calgary Flames. Well, too bad for you. Like, no, like you, you, these teams, there is 
revenue sharing amongst the league, amongst the teams. They, there is, you know, things put in place that there is an equality put in. And people enjoy it because we get quality hockey. So why can't we do the same thing with our political organizations? I'm not saying that the conservatives need to give money to the communists, but there should be at least some sort of leveling of right. the playing field that cre create a, 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 a political arena where people can compete fairly. Yeah. Uh, the hockey, the hockey analogy is really good because especially in Alberta, when you didn't give any money to Alberta teams, uh, that's just wrong. Yep. <laughs> Again, because I want strong oppositions because I want, I want good parties and good party leaders. And you know, that's who I want to hear from. Those are the people that I want to participate. But that's, but that's why Alberta has had such a hard time with having strong opposition, strong parties, is that we've never done any investing into our system. We made it okay for the longest time that corporate donations could go to the PCs and nobody blinked an eye. And, and you know, the NDP came in and sort of corrected it and then caused a bunch of havoc on the backside for uh, creating PACs, or at least the avenue for PACs to exist. So like, that's and then the UCP took advantage of it, and they're not going to make it go away. They're just going to find ways to game the system uh, by getting unions and that from doing packs. But that I digress. But the whole thing is, is that had we had two or three or four active parties who were constantly vying for numerous seats, you would see more people enter the political arena because they could go and stand behind the ideals that they agreed with, knowing that there was a chance to win. All right, that's true. Um, but so for those of us who do show up to vote, who do feel like uh, civic duty or whatever, I remember my grandmother making me vote my first year and I'm like, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, and she was like, she just, hammered it in that it's my civic duty and I have to vote. And I was like, you should have mentioned this a week ago when I could have looked it up, but she drove me there and I threw, I, I don't know, probably voted for the reform party, honestly. Uh, but at that time, you know, but anyone who shows up to vote in a way, they're almost saying, sure, take $10 of my tax dollars and give it to these parties over the next four years. Yeah, because really, what, at the end of the day, what's $10 of all the taxes you pay? What's $10? It really is. Which, by the way, if people did donate $10 a year to the party that they voted for, things would be so much better. And they get um, $7.50 back. <laughs> and that, you get $7.50 so, back. So, so it only actually costs you $2.50, so. Yeah. Oh. Anyways, um, you know, you can, you can tell I've done that pitch probably 10,000 times because. <laughs> well, and I would, I would, I would love it if more people donated to parties that they were interested in. Um, I'll, I'll even go one step further. I'd like to see the vote subsidy come back and people donated to charity instead. I, I would, I would agree with you on that because again, finding out that it's, that it's four years rather than just one, um, that, 
that really makes me feel like, like that would relieve a lot of pressure from political parties and who knows, maybe allow them to stay for a rainy day when they didn't have to turn around and apply for government subsidies to keep the lights on. Well, I, I mean, I still don't love that. I, 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 understand. I, I, we, we talked about conservatism. We talked about uh, the, the freedom conservative party, WIPA, the uh, Alberta independence party. But I mean, you sit there and go right or wrong. They have a voice. Collectively, those two parties pulled in 20, 23 and a half thousand. Is it worth nearly $50,000 a year in funding that party because nearly, you know, 1% or 1.5% of the population thought that was a good idea? Well, maybe. Like, again, this goes back to, I don't agree with it, but... I do agree with the people who voted that way have a right to vote that way. And if they do all the things they need to do in order to become a political party, then they have the right to collect those funds. All right. Okay. I, I now really disagree with our title, which I, <laughs> well, it still is money for nothing because people give money to political parties and they get nothing back. <laughs> Well, you're not buying a service. You're not, you're not getting a piece of art. You're not enjoying some public space. It really is. It's, it's money for nothing, especially if you consider that maybe your team didn't win. Yeah. Then especially money for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that is a good place to leave it. Uh, Mark, as always, thank you. You're welcome. Looking forward to hanging out with you on the lockdown happy hour. Oh, yes. <clears throat> and we have the unelectables this weekend. We've got Kirk and Joey. I'm very excited for, for this one. Um, a lot of Y chromosomes, but I'm okay with that. Well, not only that, but there's a lot of nerd chromosomes that are going to be coming as well. So you're going you're, you're gonna to be like eye rolling probably more than you've ever done in any episode previous. And of course, by that, you're talking to people listening to this and not me because I'm going to nerd out and enjoy it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Political R&D. Don't forget to give us a rating on iTunes and Google Play. And please consider subscribing on Patreon for early access to episodes and more at Political R&D. Mm -hmm.